Hey, you're listening to the V1 Church Podcast. This is Mike Signorelli, the lead pastor, and you are in for a special treat. Um, There's not even going to be an ending to this podcast episode. It's just going to run out. Now, there is this prophetic moment at the end where I start to just literally declare the heart of God over people, and we wept and wept and wept. It was one of the most powerful services I've ever been in in my life. As a matter of fact, later on today, I thought, I wish I could have been in the audience instead of being on the stage. So check it out. I love my church because there is no limit in my walk with God. I love my church because that's where I met my wife. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like as that last one played out, somebody who's single had a a silent tear roll down. (laughs) Then they looked at the person next to him and they were like, maybe today, Lord. You want to go to Chipotle, babe? <laughs> hey, man, the, the date that really won Julie over was actually Starbucks. You take a basic white girl to Starbucks, that's, you're three dates away from an engagement at any moment. Try it. Pumpkin spice latte for two. Um, that was cringy. I have a 12-year-old daughter now, so like 98% of what I do throughout the week, she, she goes, cringe, cringe, dad, that's cringy. So I'm like, other people think I'm cool. Um, (laughs) Hey, I love you guys too. One person. I love it. (laughs) Hey, well, help me do this. Can we just get loud for everyone who's watching online right now? Um, I'm going to give you some names because they're real people. What's up, Gracie, who's watching in Honduras? We got, I'm probably messing this up, but his name's Arslan, and he's watching in Pakistan. That's amazing. We got Mariah in Kentucky and uh, people from all over. Somebody, people send me messages of their, of their family members who live in Florida, Mississippi, who watch live and consider this their home church. And whether you're digital or physical, you're real. So we love you guys, and we're going to jump in. If you have a Bible, you can open up to Acts chapter 8. And if you're a Star Wars fan, you know how, like, you know, they, they first released the movies and then like a couple decades later, they gave the prequels, but they were and they were out of order. The way. So last week I preached deeper into Acts chapter eight. But today we're going to give you like the prequel. Is that cool? So you're going to have to go back and listen to last week's podcast. Any podcast listeners here? Cool, cool, cool. Uh, I talked to someone yesterday who said he replaced, he does a commute on the train every day and he replaced his music time with podcast time. And I was like, nothing wrong with little David Bowie, but you got to put Jesus Christ in there too. Um, So we, it was, it was, uh, God's using that podcast in an incredible way, well beyond the boundaries of uh, New York Metro. Actually, we have some visitors here from back home, Northwest Indiana. They drove a thousand miles to be here, 1,000 miles to come to church. They get the award for everyone's like, I can't believe I'm driving 40 minutes. Well, they drove 14 hours. Shut up. I used to have a teacher who said shut up, and I liked him more because of it. That's how I knew I was destined to live in New York. I like the teacher who told people to shut up. I'm like, I'm moving to New York. I'm mean. Um, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Someone said yesterday that, uh, like, in the Midwest, we are actually, uh, how did they put it? It was so eloquent. See, I should stick to my notes. They were basically saying that in the Midwest, we're polite but not nice, and then here they're nice but not polite. I don't know if that's, you know, so I don't know. I don't know. It kind of made sense. So we're in Acts chapter 8. 
And uh, if you have the V1 Church app, you can read the Bible from the app. If you have a physical Bible like I can, you can open and attempt to read it in this environment. Um, we are not going to be here forever, praise God. But I'm so thankful for our team that sets all this gear up and tries to make the best of this environment. Uh, so thank you, guys. Thank you. Yeah, you can slow clap it in as I kick my water over. Um, so I want to start by telling you a story while you find Acts chapter 8. It's one of my like, premier stories. You know, when you meet new people and you're like, do that, yeah, do that story, right? Um, so when I got married, I got married at 22. And every year that progresses, I ask God, you know, why did you let all those people let us get married? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I think about how, I mean, Julie and I still don't know what we're doing. But we certainly didn't know what we were doing at 21 we got, when we got engaged. And somehow, like, all of our parents said, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Go get married. Our pastors, go get married. And we were stupid. And so at 22, we, we had this, we were like, how can we tick both families off? We were like, let's do a destination wedding to Disney that nobody can go to. I don't know why. I just the whole thing was just weird. So we ended up getting married in Disney, and, uh, which was kind of cool. I was born in, and raised in a trailer park, so it was my first time ever being to Disney and as an adult, and it was cool. I got my mind blown, like, thoroughly. I thought everything was real. I was like, Julie's, there's poachers in this uh, Animal Kingdom ride. You got to watch out. And Julie's just like, what? <laughs> so uh, it comes down to the night before our wedding. And as we're kind of preparing, the typical thing to do is to go out with your guys. You know, um, here at V1, what the guys do the night before the wedding is a worship set. I don't know, if you're new, it's kind of what we do. The world does a lot of debauchery. We don't do that. Um, but back in the day, you know, we were like, hey, let's go down. Let's hang out. So I, previously, I had worked at the water department off Chicago's Lakeshore, and they gave me this key and this key was cut in such a way that it opened a lot of things. It wasn't like universal because that doesn't exist, but it was like really useful in the way it was cut. And so it was kind of like a utility key and I kept it on me for years. So I, I, I'm with my guys and then all of a sudden we walk past this like double decker golf cart on steroids. And in my 22 year old mind, I'm like, I have to steal that. Like the only thing that makes sense the night before my wedding is to take that key from the water department and see if it'll start it up. So I turn to my guys. I'm like, hey, guys, if my key, I've got this key. It's kind of like a special key. If it works, we're riding it. If it doesn't, we're going to keep walking. And so, of course, all my friends are like, well, you know, what do you think they said? Yeah. Yeah. So all of a sudden I take the key and I turn it. Boom. The thing turns on. I'm like, let's ride. <laughs> This is all Acts chapter 8, by the way. You're going to get the words. So then we're cruising in this thing, and we're going through all these little, like, rinky-dink Disney roads, and I get more confident. And then my testosterone-driven 22-year-old brain's like, we have to ride this on a real road now with real cars, because wouldn't that be awesome? And, of course, my friend said, oh, no, man, that's not biblically sound. We can't do that. We're Christians. Psych. They were like, let's roll. So... This is, so we're driving. Now, I just want to take a step back. I got ordained at 22 years old. I was actually like around Evan's age. And that was another thing. Like, why did somebody do that? <laughs> so I, everything I'm telling you, I did it as a pastor. <laughs> That's so embarrassing. Anyways, so we're on this road and we're riding with real cars. And then all of a sudden, boo, the police lights behind me and I get pulled over. 
Now I'm starting to panic. I'm wearing Mickey ears. <laughs> so I've got the Mickey ears on. And I'm starting to panic. And I kid you not, and this is the way I actually remember it. As, as the cops walking up, and this is like the synchronicity of the universe, my wife, my soon-to-be, if I don't go to jail, with her bridesmaids are in a car driving by. And in my mind, it's in slow motion. It's the only way. I, and I remember seeing Julie's mouth go, no! The, probably right before that, it was like, what kind of idiot would drive a golf cart on the, no, I'm going to marry him. It was literally how it went down. So then my heart's racing. And now I'm like, I can't lie. No matter what the outcome is, she's watched it happen. You know what I'm saying? No. <laughs> so then I am your husband. <laughs> Then all of a sudden, the cop walks up. I kid you not, true story. He walks up, how you guys doing? Hey, gentlemen, how you doing today? And, and I'm like, I'm doing all right. I still have my Mickey ears on. He reaches past me, pulls this plug and goes, you're driving without your lights on, guys. Come on now. All right, have a great night. And walks away. And I was like, let's ride. <laughs> true story. Rolled into my wedding the next day like, What's up, Jules? What's up, bridesmaids? Yes, that really happened. Why do I tell you? Why did, why did I humor myself for the last four minutes? Acts chapter 8. So here's the thing. Every single time I ever take a psychological test, a personality test, whatever, I always test extremely introverted. Always. And nobody believes me because the Holy Spirit's empowered me to be something other than my personality. I believe he wants to do that for you too. So stop using your personality as an excuse. It doesn't work with Jesus. Oh, that's just the way I am. Yeah, Saul was that way too. Now he's Paul. So I don't even know. I just wanted to preach. But so we know, and all, all joking aside, so, but even being extremely introverted, I still have this innate desire to be seen I still had something in me. And you know, as I got older and I could look at it for what it really was, I didn't want to ride a golf cart. I wanted my friends to see me use a key that they don't have. And then when I put it in and it worked, it, it just caused my social status to go up. And then after I started riding it around, they saw that I was the most daring one out of all of them. Then all of a sudden, I, 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 they all have to surrender to alpha male Mike, who is suddenly more, more adventurous and dangerous than them and can do more than them and is the wild one. Like when I look back at it now it was just this deep intrinsic need for attention I didn't need a golf cart I needed attention and what I wanted was the affirmation of my male friends that I was daring and that I was crazy and when I and, and that's in all of us and I guess before we really go into Acts chapter 8 whether you're male female young old Mary single I think you need to understand that you cannot dismiss yourself from this word today because you have it in you too. You need attention. You long for attention. You desire for attention. It's why you'll come to church and you'll be new and seven people will greet you on your way in and you'll tell your friend that no one greeted you on your way out. Oh man, that one didn't drop the way I thought, huh? We need so much attention. And unfortunately, we show up to spaces like this, to our work, to college, to school, with a huge gaping hole in our love tank. And no matter how much 
people try to pour, it's empty by the time they get done pouring it. And we're, and we're just in this, this insatiable desire to receive attention. And we all want it. Even the extreme introverts are like, I don't want anyone to talk to me during service, but I kind of want to know that they acknowledge my existence. And it's all in us. And you can't deny it because I'm one of you. And you're like, how could that be true? You got to love people. You're a pastor. Praise God. <laughs> but all of us have this intense need for attention. And we're going to learn about a man that we have in Scripture. It's actually a tragic story. You know, I used to study Shakespeare as a part of my English degree. And, you know, you have histories, comedies, and tragedies. And, and this one's a tragedy. I'm just going to give you the ending for the sake of time. This man that we're given a window into his life, uh, it doesn't end well for him. There is no resolution. There is no moment where he sees the error of his ways and changes and God redeems it. Actually, he remains blinded to his own, uh, his own false uh, narrative. His, he's blinded to the, the way in which he goes about seeking, getting attention, being the completely wrong way. And, and I guess before I start reading the Bible to you, I, I just want to tell you the end of the sermon. Now, all of you should get attention. That's the thing. I, I don't want you to hear this message as, oh, I get it. I should be able to live a life in such a way that I don't need attention. Because I think that that also would hurt you just as much as trying to get it the wrong way. I think what I'm trying to show you is that God in his infinite wisdom gave you a window into a tragedy so that you can learn how to get attention the way that he wants you to get attention and from who you should get it from. Now, can I read the Bible to you? All right. So Acts chapter eight, Acts chapter eight says this. It says, previous to Philip's arrival, a certain Simon had practiced magic in the city, posing as a famous man. I love that. You got to pick up on You got to stop and think about what you're reading. Posing as a famous man. You want me to read it in 2019? There's a man named Simon whose Instagram description says he's somebody. Somebody's changing their bio right now. <laughs> A famous man and dazzling all the Samaritans with his wizardry. Turn to the person next to you and say, what's your magic? Come on, turn to the other person on the other side. Say, hey, what's your magic? Somebody just went, rah, no, 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 no. So let me, let me break this down for you. This man that we're going to learn about today, his name is Simon the Sorcerer. The spirit is very much alive in the body of Christ globally right now. I'm going to equip you and teach you how to identify this spirit in operation either in your life or in the lives of your friends and family and the people who surround you. So I want you to leave being able to discern this spirit when you see it. And so if you're taking notes, number one, Number one note for Simon the Sorcerer is self-prescribed greatness. Self-proclaimed greatness. That is one of the hallmarks of the spirit of the sorcerer named Simon, is people calling themselves great. Now today, it's going to be quiet for a while. Sometimes surgery is silent. I didn't get a lot of shouts last Sunday, but I got a lot of testimonies. This Sunday, we may not get a ton of shouts, but we're going to get a lot of testimonies because God wants to deal with something in you in the next 74 minutes. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but here's the thing. 
self-proclaimed greatness. I learned something as I begin to mature in my faith and mature as a leader. Believe people when they tell you who they are. What do I mean by that? If you're talking to somebody and you realize that over 90% of your entire conversation is about them, believe that they're selfish. <laughs> See how I told you it was gonna be quiet today? If you're talking with someone and if somebody has to go out of their way to tell you their qualifications, their intelligence level, this, this, these are the kinds of things that will come up. You know, people will find a way in conversation to navigate that, that their, their way through telling you, bringing up the kind of the things that they feel are most important and resonate with their identity. So they'll tell you how smart they are. They'll tell you what they did in the past. They'll kind of rattle you off a list of their greatest accomplishments, accomplishments. And it's, the spirit of Simon the sorcerer because they desperately need and want attention. And they're finding that conversation as a source of that attention. And I think that what I what would be so incredible as a result of this sermon, one, one of them being freedom in your personal life, but another one, what if you went to a church and what if V1 was the kind of church where when you talk to somebody else, they asked you about you instead of you having to tell them about you. You know, some of the people that I've fallen in love with the last couple of years in deep friendships have been people that when I, when I call them, I say, hey, man, how's it going? Tell me about your life. What are you thinking right now? And then they say, hey, tell me what you're thinking. And, you know, let me just put it like this. If you get married to meet your needs, you're going to get divorced. If you get married to meet their needs and they marry you to meet your needs, you'll both get your needs met through the right circuitry and you might stay married. Because there's some single people saying, man, I, I just see Mike and Julie on the pre-roll and they're hugging each other. And if I can get married, maybe I won't be lonely anymore. And then all the married people are laughing. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. It's just a different kind of loneliness. But see, what happens is the real circuitry of marriage is, and I, talk, I talked to my wife about this last night. I said, Julie, am I, am I a good husband? Like, am I getting better? Like, do you feel like I'm meeting your needs? And sometimes she says, yeah, and sometimes she says, no. You know, my wife never had a value for receiving gifts until her dad died. And she had this thing inside of her that said, my dad always bought me gifts that made me feel special. But when he died, I stopped getting gifts because Mike doesn't know how to give gifts because he was raised in poverty. So I had to become a better husband a year and a half ago because giving gifts was filling a need. And my wife, that was left in the wake of her dad's death. And so you have to grow, you have to learn, you have to evolve. And you have, but, but the entire time you'll be so broken and you'll be so desperately in need of your own validation and your own security. You'll be so desperately in need of your own attention that you'll feel like you can't possibly give it. And that's the lie. And see, no church has ever split because everyone was trying to outserve each other. I've never had to mediate a church split as a pastor where it's like, hey, tell me your problem. Yeah, it's the weirdest thing. It's like, I don't want any of my preferences. I want their preferences and they want my preferences and we can't, you know, I want to do things the way they want to do it and they want to do things and it's just like a stalemate and, and we're just trying to love each other so well that we can't even have church anymore because it's not about us, it's about them, but we all feel that way so we don't even know what to do because we just love each other so much. 
You know what I'm saying? I've never mediated a conflict in marriage that was, we just keep trying to serve each other and love each other so much that we just can't even, I don't even know how to live life like that. It's crazy. I keep massaging her feet and then I do it more than I give her a gift and she's massaging my back while I'm massaging her feet and it's awkward. <laughs> you know what happens? Churches split over preferences. People leave service saying, I didn't get anything out of it. Oh, really? You know, well, that song we sang, you know why you didn't get anything out of it? We didn't sing it to you. We sang it to him. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I told you this whole series, I was going to offend you to heaven instead of come for you all the way to hell. But I'm just going to try to drop that line every week because I like it. <laughs> Simon the sorcerer, though, had learned magic. He had learned about going about a way of life that caused him to receive people's attention. I'm going to continue to read Acts chapter eight. It says, uh, let's see, um, previous to Philip's arrival, a certain Simon had practiced magic in the city, posing as a famous man and dazzling all the Samaritans with his wizardry. He had them all say all. Now, listen, some of you are like, you don't understand. I can see it from a mile away. Not this guy. He was that good. He faked them all out. And it says he had them all from little children to old men. Multi-generational deception. They all believed that. It, 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 I love the message translation. It said he had them all eating out of their, his hand. Then it says they all thought that he had supernatural powers and called him the great wizard. So it's one thing to have self-proclaimed greatness. It's another thing when people confirm it. And you know who often confirms your self-proclaimed greatness? Your mom. Stop going to your mom when you have problems with your marriage. She's always going to take your side because she thinks you're a genius. You never tested higher than a certain IQ, but she doesn't believe the test because she birthed you. And you know, you go to a church, you have all these character issues and you're like, why is the leadership not putting me in position? I'm great. Then all your friends who came from the other church are like, yeah, they don't see it. Those pastors don't get it. If they really knew who so-and-so was. And I'm like, dude, there's Simon the sorcerer. Are you kidding me? They're just doing magic tricks that they learned at the prophetic church. They're just doing wizardry that they learned at the Pentecostal church. Can I teach you some magic today? This is like one of those, like you tell the secrets thing and you get in trouble. And this is a dangerous sermon because I was raised in the prophetic circles. I was raised in Pentecostalism. And what we did was we reduced the, the life of the Holy Spirit and this, 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 this pursuit, this following after him, this listening to his voice and responding to what he's saying to a formula. So if I pray this way, so, it, you know, here's my magic and people show up in the church realm and they do their tricks. Oh, if I pray in this order, it'll make you feel this way. If I lead worship in this way, this is what I learned from the other church, from the other stream, from the other tradition, from the other denomination. And it all really accumulates to the point where it is just wizardry. It's not a spirit led life. I told you it's going to be a hard word. And it's like Simon the sorcerer is a different problem for the church. They hadn't encountered this problem yet. You know, it's really easy for me to get you all to shout me down when I start telling you about how we're being persecuted by people outside of these four walls. But this isn't a problem of persecution. This is a problem of co-opting the kingdom. Now I'm gonna go deep for a second, but I know somebody needs the meat. 
He didn't resist what was happening. Simon the sorcerer didn't criticize it. He didn't say, oh, well, this is what's wrong with what the early church is doing. As a matter of fact, as you continue to read verses 9 through 11, it basically said that, that he received the gospel, that he believed it. He even went along with their program. He accepted Christ. He got baptized. He did all the things that you're supposed to do. But the problem was... He didn't do it because he was madly in love with God. He did it because he was madly in love with the approval of people. And his ear was tuned to the sound of their applause. And let me tell you something about attention. Attention is a drug. You think heroin's bad? Attention's worse. You think alcohol's bad? Attention's worse. Want me to prove it to you? If you woke up tomorrow morning and you all of a sudden had 10,000 followers on your Instagram, you would be happy only during breakfast. By the time lunch came around, you would, you would be saying in your heart, I can't wait to get 20,000, then 30,000. If right now you logged in your Facebook and it was a quote by me, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you post some content and that thing gets 4,000 likes. You would be happy for a little while then your heart would start to go in this direction of how can I get more of that? Because attention is this drug. It's this insatiable desire that we all have. It's so deep in us. And all the years that he practiced magic and wizardry, he had accumulated the respect of every generation, it says. He was a multi-generational entertainer. But see, what the apostles saw, what Philip saw in the spiritual realm, is he is a black hole, a gravitational force for attention. And he's creating sideways energy. He doesn't really want Jesus. He wants the power that Jesus gives. He just wants another set of tricks for his arsenal. You know how I know that happens here in this church? I'm just calling it like I see it. Because see, you can only call out something in someone that you first are given permission by the Holy Spirit to see in yourself. We'll be doing loadout. People working their butts off, sweating. And there'll be people who will stand over there and accumulate so much attention to themselves and they become a gravitational pull. You can literally see it. And they're just feasting on that moment where the eyes are on them. And then they start engaging in the conversation. The conversation's about them. And they're just feasting on the attention. And some people even go to church to receive the drug of attention. But I'm not a drug dealer. We are here not to receive the attention from man. But we show up every single week to turn all of our adoration, all of our worship, and all of our affection in one direction together. That's how the church was birthed. They were in the upper room. They didn't go to the upper room to meet their own needs. They went out of response to a command that Jesus gave them. And as they were in the upper room in one mind and one accord, and they were putting the direction of their affection towards God, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit was released and it empowered them to do work. But so much of what we've turned this into is the super mall experience of Christianity. Oh, I don't like that church, but you know what? H&M's not cool. Just go out that door and go down the hall of the mall of church, and there's another one that is your genre of clothing. Oh, you like anthropology? They're down the hall that way. Oh, you like this kind of church? They're down that street. No, it's not about that. And Simon the Sorcerer was different experience for the church because he wasn't even resisting what the church was trying to do, but he was trying to take it 
and metabolize it into another form of sorcery. And we will not be that kind of church. And I will not feed your need for attention here because I will destroy you if I give it to you. There's been pastors, this happened to me. I was an evangelical Christian until I was 27. And then after 27, I truly became a follower of Christ. Well, I thought you said you were ordained at 22. Oh yeah, I did all the programming, but I had such a deep father wound. I learned how to play instruments so I can play in front of crowds. I preached, I love the fact that people respond, oh, you helped me. Oh yeah, I did, didn't I? Whatever happened to Jesus in this? Didn't Jesus do it? Didn't Jesus give me the gift? Didn't Jesus call me? Didn't Jesus call me before I had a theology degree? But you can get it messed up. And see, when you're driving a car, if you take your hands off the steering wheel and it's not in proper alignment, even when it is, you're just counting down the seconds until you incrementally go one inch at a time until you're completely in the ditch. And there's people who take their hands off of the steering wheel of life and incrementally they're getting away. You see pastors, they, they start off with humility and they incrementally get more full of pride. You see worship leaders, they incrementally get more full of themselves. You see it's like incrementally, first it's pornography, then you graduate that to meeting a person in person and flirting with them and getting their number. Then you graduate the flirtation with let's meet up. Oh, we shouldn't do that. Then this we shouldn't do that turns into we shouldn't do it again. Then we shouldn't do it again turns into maybe I don't love them. And then it starts this vicious cycle cycle in your life but what you were seeking was attention not sex what you were seeking on the stage wasn't the fulfillment of your destiny it was the fulfillment of your desires Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane actually did a different thing he said I'm about to do the greatest ministry work that will ever be done on planet earth it's called the cross and I don't even desire to do it but nevertheless, not my desire, but yours, God. Not my will, but yours. And what happens is this Simon the Sorcerer thing begins to move in our churches, move in our personal lives. And some of you are like, man, Mike, this has been such a hard word. What's the answer? What's the hope? Well, can I just tell you what happens to Simon the Sorcerer before I give you the answer? All of a sudden, if you continue to read it, it says... But when Philip came to town announcing the news, he accepts Christ and you continue down to verse 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem received the report that Simon had accepted God's message, they sent Peter, Peter and John. You remember Peter, the bipolar guy, the one that was constantly getting rebuked by Jesus, probably needed medication. You remember that, Peter? <laughs> Peter shows up. But this is a different Peter. See, Peter's got some maturity on him. As a matter of fact, Peter was constantly interjecting his own will, and that was primarily what he got rebuked for. As a matter of fact, as I've grown as a man, I even look at Peter walking on water, not as so much as a miracle, but his still, it's an extension of his search for significance. To me, when that story of like Peter, um, Peter's like, I'm coming out of the boat, I'm gonna walk on water, to me, that looks like stealing a golf cart at Disney. Hey guys, look what I did. I'm gonna take a social status. You're gonna see how daring I am. He didn't walk the water just exclusively out of the miracle working power of God. I believe there's a little bit of striving in that too. Some of your greatest ministry moments can be you just trying to show off and to prove other people. See, I told you there was something real inside of me, but there's a pride even in that. I told you we're doing surgery today. 
But then all of a sudden, as you follow his story and read it, it says, when Simon saw that the apostles were merely laying hands and conferring the spirit, he pulled out his money, excited, and said, sell me your secret. Show me how you did that. How much do you want? Name your price. And then Peter said, and this is the message translation, to hell with your money and you along with it. Why, that's unthinkable. Trying to buy God's gift? You'll never be a part of what God is doing by striking bargains and offering bribes. Change your ways and change them now. Ask the master to forgive you for trying to use God to make money. I can see this as an old habit with you. You reek with money lust. Wow. This is the end of his story. Can I tell you, Simon Peter, the one who messed it up so much with Jesus, but see, Jesus was exposing his self-will. Jesus was exposing Peter's self-will. He was exposing his agenda so much that by the time Peter got free from it, remember when he said, hey, Peter, actually, you're going to deny me three times when the cross happens. Oh, I'm never going to do that. All of a sudden, the cross happens. Peter's gone. But see, God was exposing, Jesus was exposing in Peter his own agenda. So then all of a sudden you have Peter, not the disciple, but Peter the apostle who shows up. And isn't it crazy in God's wisdom that Simon Peter is now getting ready to rebuke Simon the sorcerer? See, the reason why God needs you to get free is because you're about to pay your freedom forward after this. But you can't correct something in someone that you haven't first gained victory over in yourself. And so he looks at him and he says, I see money lust. I don't see a heart after God. I don't see somebody longing to know God. You're just trying to rig all of this so that you can feed yourself importance. You're just trying to satiate a need. And if I had to do a deeper read of Simon the Sorcerer, I would ask myself, where was his dad? What was life like for Simon the Sorcerer that at a young age he decided, I know how to get their attention? You know, if you go into an orphanage in Ukraine and you show up, there's gonna be two types of kids. One type of kid in the orphanage is literally gonna just walk away from you and disengage because they're just so hopeless and disillusioned by the life. But another type of kid is gonna do every trick they know in hopes that you take them home. And so many of us are orphaned in life. And every time we meet someone new, we do every trick, every magic that we've learned in hopes that they adopt you into their circle. Does anyone want to get free today? Does anyone want to get free today? But see, Simon the sorcerer hears this response from Peter and he still doesn't get it. He actually says, oh no, I pray that doesn't happen. Wait a second, not me pray, you pray. Can you guys pray that that doesn't happen to me? In other words, I don't have a relationship with God, but I know you do. Can you use your relationship with God to talk? How many of your friends sound like that to you? Can you pray to God for me? Because I don't pray. But he was missing the whole point of this reckless love of God. He was missing the whole point. And you know, it's crazy to think about Simon the sorcerer having the unadulterated church. It hadn't even been messed up by the imperfection of man that much yet. It hadn't even turned into what it is 2,000 years later. He had the Holy Spirit just fresh on the scene, working all around him, but he missed it. He was looking for the miracles, but he missed the miracle maker. And I never want to say, guys, let's clap for all the things that God answered in prayer. And you miss the person who answered the prayer. Because guess what? It's deeper than that. 
Jesus goes, Lazarus, come forth. And we love preaching that story, but no preacher tells you that Lazarus died again and stayed dead. So let's just say God answers all your prayers and he heals all your sicknesses. You're just gonna die of something else. Does that mean he's not good? He's not a genie. He's God's sovereign in his wisdom. His thoughts and ways are far beyond our infinitesimal brain and, and the potential to even understand it. And there's a point that we have to surrender to him. He's not asking us to understand, but he's demanding. If you want to be in a relationship, you're going to have to surrender that you're like me, but you're not me. I made you in my image and likeness, but you don't have the same abilities and the same capacity I do. And as long as you can receive that truth, I can give you the next step. But so many people, as soon as I can figure out the equation, as soon as the YouTube video comes out that finally proves without a doubt that Jesus and God exist, I'll believe it. And, it's, and God is saying, even if I gave you all the evidence, it still wouldn't solve the heart condition that you will not submit and surrender to me. And that's the surgery I'm trying to do because see what would have happened if Simon the sorcerer would have surrendered to God, then all the applause that came to him as a magician would have ceased. And then whatever else God gave him in his life to do, that applause would have to ricochet to him and then up to God. And he would have to learn this sacred thing of deflecting glory and giving it back to God. And see that, that didn't make any sense to him. And I think that's the true freedom in this. But if you're caught in the social media insatiable desire to be seen and known and accumulate attention, you cannot be free. But here's the thing that I believe that Simon the Sorcerer was never told. I'd like to think if I was his pastor and he was in this message, he could have got free, but he had Peter the apostle and that didn't help him either. There's some people who are going to hear this today, but you got to choose You've got to put a demand on me and pull the greatness and the anointing out of this message for your life today. But can I tell you what I think he needed? See, when you're performing magic, when you're leading worship, when you're doing these things, when you're accumulating influence, when you're posting on social, what happens is you start to get accustomed to the sound of people's approval. And you start chasing that sound. You chase the clapping. You chase the shouting. You chase the likes. You chase the shares. You start chasing that. And you get caught up in that vicious cycle. And there's a lot of noise involved in that. And I believe that sometimes when we're in ministry, sometimes we're in the local church, it's so much thunder, so much thunder, that I believe you can miss the whisper of the Holy Spirit. This is what I think it sounds like for you. I'm going to model something for you right now so that the Simon, the sorcerer and you can be laid to rest and you can get attention the only way you were designed to get it. Because see, Brie is awesome, but there's a limitation to how much attention she can give me because she's a limited person. I mean, she's just human. Man, Nick's incredible. But you know what? There's gonna be some times where Nick can't be there for me. And sometimes if you keep going this way in your search for attention, you're either gonna realize, man, it's never enough because even an unlimited number of people is still a finite supply of attention. I need to go to the infinite. I need to go to the one. See, the Bible says pray without ceasing. It's another way of saying receive attention from your father with every breath. 
It's another way of saying there's one who never sleeps or never slumbers. You might not be on Julie's mind, but you're on my mind right now, Michael, because I have the capacity to give you unlimited attention. And this is what it sounds like. I'm going to model this behavior. I'm going to pretend to be a mom, a mother right now. Don't try not to be weird about it. But tomorrow morning when you wake up, instead of grabbing your phone and saying, how much attention did I get paid today? Instead of going, you know, a lot of the fatherless previous generation, I'm talking to the millennials right now, even parenting has become a form of idolatry for us because we love the attention our kids give us and it fills in the gap where social media falls short and we love the way our kids look up to us and even our kids have become a form of idolatry that feeds our own insatiable desire for attention. You gotta be careful. Was that too real for somebody? And it causes us to put our kids up on a pedestal and, and treat that relationship in such a way that's damaging to both of you, both of us. So before you go anywhere else for attention, this is what it sounds like. Good morning, Holy Spirit. And then you wait. You wait for a response because it's a, it's a dialogue, not a monologue. See, Simon the Sorcerer, when you're a magician, you just monologue. You get up on stage and you say all the words, but you don't have a conversation. See, he didn't understand that it's a relationship you have with God. He wanted the power that he saw the apostles moving in so badly because that power would have continued the monologue. But see, there's this dialogue we're supposed to have. So you pause. Good morning, Holy Spirit. And then you wait. And in the midst of all the thunder and the loudness of our lives, you may hear this. Good morning, daughter. I love you. I'm proud of you. Hey, daughter, before you ever get out of this bed and your feet touch the ground, you're approved by me and you're loved by me. Hey, daughter, listen, you're going to do some great things with your life, but none of those things are ever going to add to your value because you're of infinite value to me. Oh, God. Thank you, Jesus. I hear you. Thank you. Hey, I'm a little stressed out today. I got a lot going on. You know, I read this blog last night before I went to bed and I saw this mom and they look like they have such a picturesque life. And I just feel so bad about how limited my strength is. And I just feel like a bad mom all the time. And then you wait. And the Holy Spirit says, I could teach you how to get better. I got something better than caffeine for you. It's called my strength. When you're weak, I'm strong. I counted on you being weak. I actually built that into the plan. It didn't surprise me that you had limited strength. I already made a provision for it. Do you want it? Well, I don't know. I'm just trying to figure this out. I don't pray the way Julie prays. I, I, don't, I don't know. Hey, daughter, I just want to have a conversation with you. I just want to talk to you. I just want you to feel my love and my embrace for some of the sons of our house, and you could be a 74-year-old son. Good morning, Holy Spirit. Hey, you know I'm trying to get better at this thing. I just feel like I keep messing up. Hey, let me teach you how to do it. Hey, there was another son named David. You could read in the Psalms, he actually said, God teaches my fingers to fight, my hands to war. Son, I'm still teaching warriors how to make war. Believe me, I can teach you how to fight too. 
Jesus, I just feel like I constantly blow it. I'm going into work. I start feeling the pull. I want their attention so badly. I start talking in such a way and acting in such a way that's outside of what you have called me to. I know you got something deeper than that for me, God, but I just, there's something about the way they laugh when I say that joke that makes me feel. There's just something about the way that they slap me on the back when, when I start talking that way or acting that way. And it just, it's just like when they touch, when that guy at work touches my back, I really wish it was a hug because I never had the approval of a man. And I'll do stuff outside of your will for that approval. But God, I don't want to be like that today. And I promise you, I promise you, if you wait, say, Holy Spirit, I'm waiting until I feel your embrace today. I'm waiting until you approve my masculinity. I'm waiting until you tell me that I can leave from this place in your presence you will feel a tangible presence. God will begin to have communion with you. The whole point of the cross was that this veil was torn and there was no separation between you and God. And Simon the sorcerer, I don't think ever had that intimacy. Can I just tell you something? I used to think that the early church was a whole bunch of testosterone-driven, conqueror mentality men who were like, let's just do something crazy for God. And I think that had a part in it. But do you want to know I think, what I think their true motivation was? They had such a deep and profound revelation of God's love for them that they said, because he loves me this much, because he loved me while I was yet a sinner, because he loved me while I was in darkness, I will do anything in response to that love because I couldn't get it anywhere else. I was a tax collector and tried to get the Romans to like me and, and that didn't quite satiate it. I was a doctor. I mean, I'm Luke the physician and even with the prestige of being a doctor, that didn't satiate my need for attention. I mean, I just want that thing. I want the love from the infinite supply of love and out of that, I'll do anything in response to that love. There's no volunteer system you can rig with that. There's no culture you can build off of the wisdom of man that will match people responding to that infinite love. And if you don't go back to that well every single day, you know, when I was in Israel, you see these flocks of sheep in the thousands. And when you ask those shepherds, how could you possibly watch that many sheep and keep them all together and they don't scatter? He goes, it's all about having a well. When you have a well full of water, they will never get too far away from that well. And I believe that you in your walk with Christ must go back to that well every day the well of his love, the well of his presence, the well of his attention and affirmation. And you know why? Here's the thing, and I'm closing right now. You do deserve attention and your need for it is not in and of itself evil. As a matter of fact, if no one ever told you about God, if no one ever told you that God existed, there would be something on a cellular level, on a fibrotic level that would be crying out, I know that there's intention to my design. I know that my life exists for a purpose. I know I'm not here by accident, that there were millions of sperm and yet that possibility created me. I know I couldn't have a different skin color. I know I 
couldn't have a different eye color. I know that there is some reason. I know there's, I'm begging, pay attention to this existence. Pay attention to the reality of me. I know it can't be an accident. I know there has to be a design. And your body, your soul, your spirit is crying out to acknowledge the destiny that is on your life. That's why the need for attention in and of itself isn't wrong because it's pointing to a creator. It's pointing to the reality that yes, you do have a purpose. You do have a purpose. You do have a reason for your existence. And when you go on social media and post a selfie and delete 4,000 pictures to get the right one, on the most primitive level, your heart is crying out, pay attention to me. I know I'm here for a reason. I know I'm just a sojourner traveling through life, but there's got to be some reason. Even at the height of depression and suicide, on a cellular level, your existence begs, it begs to be acknowledged. But any other search to have that satiated apart from the love of Christ, and watch this, the love of Christ through others, you'll always feel like you're coming up short. Would you close your eyes with me? Oh, I wish I could have grabbed Simon the sorcerer and said, Simon, you're waiting for the thunder of their applause. Would you wait for the whisper of the Holy Spirit? Right now, I want to challenge you. I think it's easy to shout, to cheer, to cry out, but often we miss the whisper. So we're gonna take 30 seconds. And I want the Holy Spirit to tell you the most profound thing that you hear during this service today. And I just have to believe as an act of faith, as the pastor of this church, that the most profound thing that gets communicated today wasn't said by me or anyone else on stage. And I want the Holy Spirit to do what he does best, which is reveal the person of Jesus Christ. All de the definition of disciple, to be a disciple, is just how would Jesus live your life if he had it? And we're on a journey to discover that. And the Holy Spirit's gonna speak to you. We're gonna take 30 seconds. And I just, in the stillness of that moment, I want you to just, I'm here, God. I'm listening. Speak to me. And I, I believe that he's gonna speak to your heart. Take a risk and listen to the whisper. Do the thing that Simon the sorcerer never did. Ready? Three, two, one. Listen.
while you're continuing to listen, I just want to vocalize some things that I believe the Holy Spirit said. Somebody heard him say, I'm proud of you. Maybe your response was, for what? And maybe he's saying, for not giving up. I'm proud of you for trying again. Somebody heard, I love you. And you're like, could it really be that simple? It's probably my own mind. No, it sounds just like your dad. He says it all the time. He says it all the time. I love you. He said it while you were sinning. He said it while you were preaching. He said it while you were singing. He says it all the time. I love you. Somebody's faith is increasing because the Holy Spirit's saying it is going to happen. And you're like, God, how? Well, that's the fun part. That's the surprise. It is gonna happen. It is going to happen. There's faith rising. To someone else, he's saying, one year from now, your life will be unrecognizable. One year from now, your life will be unrecognizable. See, this is what Simon the Sorcerer never, this is what he never had. He was so concerned with the power, he missed the person. And the person is so much better. You take a miracle, you walk out the door, what are you gonna do tomorrow? But the person goes with you everywhere. It's better. One year from now, someone's life is gonna be completely unrecognizable. I hear the Lord telling someone else that there was a laugh you used to do as a kid and you're getting ready to laugh like that again. You forgot what it sounded like, but he did it. And you're about to laugh like you've never laughed before. But it's gonna be the joy of the Lord welling up inside of you. I'm just gonna to continue to minister. We might have to start breaking down, Evan. I know that we're like, but the Lord's doing something. I just want, I'm just gonna keep going deeper. I don't know, just give me like 30 seconds. Somebody lost their laugh in a tragedy in their childhood and that's when you stopped laughing like you used to laugh. And the Lord's going back to that moment and healing it. And your laugh's gonna be restored as a result of the healing that's gonna happen from that moment. There's people crying. We've got to pack up out of here. Because <laughs> our time's up at noon. I keep going a little bit longer. Is that okay? Sorry, that was gross. <laughs> I 
I don't know, I just feel the Holy Spirit asking someone, since when did you start to be so serious? Some of you have forgotten your default, like the way he designed you. I hear him saying, when did you get so serious? There's a buoyancy coming over somebody. You ever try to like take a, a beach ball and hold it under the water? It doesn't stay under the water long. And the Lord says he's breathing his breath of life into you and inflating you. And you're coming out from deep waters with buoyancy and you're gonna rise up to the surface again. And God says that there is elements and parts of your persona and your personality that you thought was, oh, that was teenager stuff. That was when my, I had a higher level of this. This is when, no, the Lord says it's gonna be a miracle for you to move and act and be in the way that he designed you to. And all the tragedy and all the hardship and all the struggle was not enough to stop the buoyancy of his breath as it fills you now. And you come up above the surface of the water. Thank you, Father. Father, I, I pray for V1 Church right now. Every single person under the sound of my voice who so desperately needs to know that you're real, that you're speaking. God, I pray that you would be with them tomorrow. I pray that they would experiment with the prayers that I tried to model today, that they would wake up tomorrow morning and the first thing that they would say is, good morning, Holy Spirit. We journeyed through the night Weeping may endure through the, through the night, but joy comes in the morning. I'm gonna smile, because that's my weaponry. I'm gonna be full of gratitude, because that's how I destroy strongholds. And I thank you, Father, for what you're going to do in and through this church, whether they're watching live, whether they're here in this room, the overflow or in Queens. And God, I thank you that next week we're coming back and telling the stories of your goodness in the land of the living. And Father, we're not waiting to get to heaven for heaven to come. We're bringing it here, God. We're bringing it into our work. We're bringing it into our, uh, our schools. We're bringing it into our homes, Father. Let heaven invade every single one of our spaces. Let heaven invade every locked door of our past. Let heaven invade every broken part of our mind. Let heaven invade every every scarred part of our heart that lost feeling, the scarred parts of our heart that lost feeling, the places that we healed from, but we lost sensitivity in our healing. May those, may neurons begin to grow, may, may feeling come back, may the sensitivity return to the places of scars and let that be a miracle that someone starts feeling again and the numbness goes away. And Father, I thank you for a restoration and a total healing in somebody's life as we are rejecting that demonic spirit of Simon the sorcerer and we're saying God we want to be sons and daughters in Jesus name